joining us at Mission Church online. God bless you. It is so good to have you with us today as well. Amen. All right. So I want you to get your Bibles. Did you bring a Bible today? Who brought a Bible? Anybody? Or a device that has a Bible on it? Yes? Come on, you got to bring your Bible to church. Amen? Yes? Why do you bring a Bible to church? You got to check out the preacher, make sure that he or she is giving you the Word of God. We're in Revelation today, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, we are going to be in chapter one, the first chapter of Revelation. And for the next two weeks, I want to stay in this chapter because I really feel like the Lord just stirring something in my spirit. Uh, now, you might say, well, wait a minute, it's, it's Christmas, the Christmas season. What about the baby in the manger? Well, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the birth of Christ and, and all that the incarnation means to us. But let's be clear that the image of a baby in a manger is not the image of the Christ that we worship today. Amen? Now, the world loves Christmas because they love the image of that baby Jesus. And everyone loves a baby. Everyone loves a baby, a baby that is, you know, innocent and sweet and cuddly and, and, and defenseless, you know, and weak. I mean, everyone loves a baby, right? No, the baby makes, you know, no demands on you unless you're Pastor Chris and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. The baby doesn't even speak, right? You can basically live, act, do whatever you want to do around a baby, right? But that's the Christmas Jesus, that the world loves to celebrate. That's not the image that we see in the book of Revelation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in his full glory as he is today. So as we enter into this Christmas season, yes, we celebrate the incarnation. Yes, we celebrate that little town and, and how our Savior came as a baby. But let's not lose sight of the fact that he is not a little baby today that he is the reigning sovereign Lord over all creation and over our lives. Amen? So Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says this, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Isn't that awesome? Come on, are you hearing the word of God today? Jesus Christ, the ruler currently, right now, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. I, John both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom 
of patience and patience of Jesus Christ. I, John, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. The book of Revelation, which so many of us love, is actually a letter that John the Apostle wrote to seven churches. It was a vision that Jesus gave to John about the events that would unfold in the end times. He told him to write down everything that you see in a book and then send it, probably by courier, to the churches that are located in this area known as Asia Minor or our present-day Turkey. John, at this point, the apostle, is about 90 years old. He's on the island of Patmos, which is a prison camp. It's a penal colony. It's situated on a rock that is about 10 miles long and 5 miles wide in the Aegean Sea. It's a labor camp full of prisoners. They've been sent there not just to sit and do nothing, but to to quarry and to mine rocks, mostly marble and granite. The emperor Domitian, the emperor of Rome at that time, sent John there, we see in verse 9, because of the word of God that John was preaching and the testimony that he had of Jesus Christ. Now, to fully appreciate the book of Revelation, we need to understand this context in which it was written. It comes to the church at a time when the church is at its lowest, perhaps its most discouraging moment that it had known up to that time. John was the last apostle. All the other apostles were dead except him. They had been martyred in horrible, humiliating ways. Paul was beheaded. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was roasted in a furnace. Bartholomew was beaten, flayed open, and crucified. And I could go on and on. What has happened to all of these apostles is known throughout the church world, and it's known that John, the last apostle, is now imprisoned in Patmos. The the churches are discouraged. Many of them are in decline. The pressure of the outside culture is taking its toll inside the church. Five of the seven churches of Asia Minor have succumbed to paganism and false doctrine and spiritual apathy. You can read it when you go through the letters there uh, in, in Revelation 2 and 3. Ephesus has left its first love. Pergamos has become immoral. Thyatira is overrun with paganism and false teaching. Sardis is dead. Laodicea is lukewarm and in danger of being vomited out of the mouth of Christ, metaphorically. This is perhaps the darkest, bleakest time in the history of the church 
up to that time. Christians are being hunted down. They're being arrested, driven out of their homes. Their properties confiscated. Their children taken away from them. Rome, at this time, has become weary of the constant rebellions in this area around Israel and Asia Minor. And so the emperor and his army, they are asserting their dominance with a vengeance at this point in history. The Roman army is marching through this region. History records how, at this time, they have obliterated 985 towns and cities in a satanically driven genocide against Jews and Christians. The Roman general Titus has completely leveled Jerusalem. The temple at this time is destroyed. The Romans are murdering and enslaving hundreds, thousands of people. And for the Christians, this is devastating. The Christians have been expecting Christ to return at any moment. In fact, specifically, because of all the prophecies, they've been expecting Christ to return to Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. And that in Jerusalem, Jesus would set up his his messianic kingdom and reestablish his lordship in the temple. But the temple is gone. It's been completely leveled. The only thing left of the temple are some pieces of its foundation, which we know today as the Wailing Wall. All to the church, to the Christians, seems hopeless and lost. And I can imagine many of the Christians now succumbing to the pressures of the world around them, are asking this question, is this it? Are we now on our last leg? Is this our final time? It certainly seems that way. And then there's John, the last apostle. He's on that prison island. He's in the hot sun, under scourging, 90 years old, under scourging, in chains, forced to sit in the blazing heat, chiseling rocks all day long, scantily dressed, undernourished, sleeping in caves no bigger than a hole in the ground. And imagine John there in prison, thinking of the condition of all the churches, the destruction of Jerusalem, the leveling of the temple, the empire of Rome, which seems to be crushing the kingdom of God on earth. Could John also be thinking, is this the end of the church? Have we been defeated? Now, if John is anything like me, that's probably what he'd be thinking, because that's what I would be thinking. And it's into this context, it's into this, this situation, this moment of despair and discouragement that Jesus, through revelation power, steps into John's island prison, clothed in all of his authority, his majesty, and his glory, revealing his power, so as to say to John, Rome may be marching against the church. The whole earth may be aligned against me. But John, do not make the mistake of thinking that I am defeated. Do not not make the mistake of thinking that I am simply a weak 
defenseless little baby still lying in a manger. And Jesus goes on to tell him, I want you to write to the seven churches who are feeling defeated and hopeless and who are capitulating to the culture of the world around them. And I want you to remind them that I am the Alpha, the Omega, that I am he who was and is and is to come, that I am the ruler over all the kings of the earth. It's not Caesar of Rome. It's not Alexander of Greece. It's not Cyrus of Persia. It's not Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You remind them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sovereign over all things in the earth. And that I am coming again. And every eye will see me and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of me. This is the Christmas message that we need today in America in 2021. The king that we serve is not a meek, defenseless, helpless baby in a manger. Now we can recognize that and we can celebrate that, but let's not stop there because that's where the world stops. They stop at the manger and the stable and go no further. We need to remember today in our culture that he is the king of heaven, that he is the king of earth, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever, and he is in control. Can I say that again? That our God is in control. Joe Biden is not in control. Xi Jinping is not in control. Vladimir Putin is not in control. Nancy Pelosi, come on, say it with me, is not in control. George Soros, not in control. Bill Gates, not in control. Mark Zuckerberg, come on, say it, not in control. Donald Trump, not in control. <laughs> it may seem as though the politicians and the media elite and the celebrity class are ruling the day today. It may seem like the church has lost its voice and that anyone who believes the word will be shamed and attacked and marginalized as a hater or a bigot or a right-wing homophobe. But I want to remind us today that the word of the Lord can never be defeated and Jesus is still building his church. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but my words shall never pass away. Psalm 72 says all the kings of the earth shall fall before him. Isaiah 40 says he brings the princes to nothing. All throughout history the word of God and the church has been under attack, but has not been defeated. Amen? From the emperor Domitian, who banished John to the Isle Patmos in the first century Rome, to Diocletian, 
in the third century. In fact, Diocletian, who was the emperor of Rome in AD 303, tried to destroy God's word when he ordered the seizure of every Bible he could find and murdered any Christian who owned one. And when no more scriptures could be found throughout the Roman Empire, he erected, he actually erected a monument that said, the name of Christian is extinguished. But 25 years later, the emperor Domitian was himself extinguished. And a new emperor named Constantine came into power. And this emperor commissioned state scholars with state funds to make new copies of the Bible and circulated them all throughout the city of Rome. The Word of God will not be defeated. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. The Roman Catholic Church tried to destroy God's Word. During the Middle Ages, when anyone who was found with a copy of the Bible, that copy of the Bible would be tied around their neck and they were burned at the stake. John Wycliffe was so despised for translating the Bible into English that after he was dead, they actually dug up his corpse and burned it at the stake and threw his ashes into the river. In 1536, William Tyndale was burned to death for translating the Bible into English so that common people could read the Word of God. And you know what his last words were before he perished in those flames? His last words were, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And then three years later, just three years later, King Henry VIII required every church to use that English Bible. Amen. Remember that next time you don't want to pray for a leader you don't like. Isaiah said, God's word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it has been sent. Secularism tried to destroy God's word. When the French philosopher Voltaire constantly criticized the Bible, claimed he attacked it every day, claiming that it was full of fables and children's stories. And in 1750, he wrote, quote, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on the earth except in a museum. It is now almost 300 years later, and the Bible is still the world's number one bestseller. In fact, only 50 years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house and his printing press, and used it to produce stacks and stacks of Bibles. God will not be mocked. Psalm 119 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Communist China has been trying to destroy God's word since the 1970s when the Red Guard confiscated and destroyed every copy of the Bible that they could find. But God's word is a seed that will not die. Amen? The Economist magazine recently published an article. It was, it was titled this, Protestant Christianity is Booming in China. That's The Economist magazine. 
And it's quoted, it's talked about how Christianity is China's fastest growing religion right now. The government of China says that there are about 44 million Christians, but more accurate estimates put that at 100 million Christians in China when you factor in the underground church that won't surrender their Bibles. Every two days, two to three new churches open up in China. And this is done without the help of missionaries. This is simply done by Chinese people who love the Word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Listen, you can ban the Word of God. You can, you can tear it up. You can burn it. You can outlaw it. But you can never destroy the Word of God. The Word of God is living. The Word of God is powerful. Hallelujah. Heaven and earth may pass away. In fact, it will pass away. But God's Word shall remain. Amen? God's Word survived Rome. It endured the Catholic Church. It humiliated humanism. It conquers communism. In fact, it made its way to the shores of a British colony to become a pillar in the formation of the United States of America. Now, young people, you need to hear this because they're not going to teach you this in school. In 1789, when George Washington was being inaugurated, on the day of his inauguration, he put his left hand on a King James Version, raised his right, recited the oath of office, and then bent down and kissed the Bible. John Adams, standing next to him, his vice president and America's second president, wrote this, I have examined all religions and confirmed that the Bible is the best book in the world. John Jay, the chief justice of the U.S., who was there and swore Washington into office, said, quote, The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and the next. These are the founding principles in the lives of our patriarchs in the United States. We've come a long way in our country since then, amen? From leaders who loved the Word of God to leaders who now mock and attack the Word of God. Today, the Bible is under attack. Modern-day Rome, America, is marching against it. Since the 1960s, our nation has been incrementally pushing God out of its laws, out of its schools, in fact, out of our very culture. In 1962, the Supreme Court took prayer out of the public schools. In 1963, the Supreme Court took Bible reading out of the public schools. In 1968, the Supreme Court put atheism and the theory of evolution in the public school. In 1973, the Supreme Court legalized abortion and rejected the divine sanctity of human life. In 2005, the court made it illegal to display the Ten Commandments in American federal courthouses. In 2015, the Supreme Court extended the 14th Amendment to include the rights of homosexual people to marry. In a blatant arrogance to redefine marriage and reject the authority of God who created it. Not only over marriage, but over a foundational element of our society and our culture. And it may seem to us today 
like the church is losing and darkness is winning. But church, don't lose heart. What we learn from the book of Revelation and from the seven churches of Asia Minor, five of whom who were in decline and dying, and the Apostle John who was on the Isle of Patmos, that even if Rome appears to be in control, it is Jesus Christ who is in control. This increasing darkness is just a sign of the times. Come on, everybody say it. It's a sign of the times. Paul told Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about a great falling away that will occur. Jesus said, in the last days, iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall run cold, and there will be wars and rumors of wars, and there will be pestilence, and it will all happen like birth pangs on a woman with increasing severity as we draw closer and closer to Christ's return. But Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, he said, don't fear and don't despair. Jesus said, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Jesus is still in control. He's coming again, church. Can I remind you of that? Jesus is coming again. Now, before that happens, there's going to be another event. Armageddon. Everybody say Armageddon. That's when the armies of the world gather around Jerusalem to try and wipe Israel off the face of the map. But before Armageddon, there will be a period of time known as Jesus called the Great Tribulation, where there will be the rise of the Antichrist and there will be horrible worldwide persecution against believers. But before that happens, the Bible describes another event that will take place. Before Armageddon, before the Great Tribulation, before the Antichrist, the Bible says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, anybody alive here today? Anybody at all here? Got a couple people still alive, right? We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. It's what we call the rapture of the church. And it's what Jesus referred to in Matthew 24 when he said, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. The rapture of the church is the next event on the end times calendar. Before Armageddon, before the Antichrist, before the Great Tribulation, God will remove His church from the earth. Why? Because tribulation is a period of God pouring out His wrath on the rebellious nations of the earth and the church must be removed. Why? Because Jesus already bore the wrath of God in our place on the cross. Therefore, we cannot be around when the wrath of God is poured out. Amen? Now, you might say, wait a minute. I don't understand. What do you mean? What do you mean God removes his church? I mean exactly what Jesus said. 
Two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will still be there. Two women will be grinding in the mill, one will be taken, and the other will be left. 1 Corinthians 15 says, we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What does that mean? It means millions will disappear, removed from this world, transformed, and caught up with the Lord. People on trains, on planes, at work, in church, with family, gone. 747s will be without pilots, boats without captains, cars without drivers. I like those, remember those old bumper stickers? Remember those? In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Everyone ever seen? <laughs> Just gone. Your mother might go. Your father might go. Your son, your daughter Millions of babies gone. How will they explain it? I don't know. They'll come up with some aliens, is what CNN will report. (laughs) I'll be gone. How about you? Come on, how about you? Now, some of you, (laughs) some of you, Sunday after the rapture, you may show up for church. It might be very empty that day. Most of us will be gone. And uh, you'll have to have a business meeting to elect a new pastor. Good luck. Because at that point, luck is pretty much all you're going to have. Tell somebody Jesus is coming. Get ready. Come on, tell him, get ready. Get ready. But when he comes again, listen, he will not be a baby lying in a manger. He'll be riding a white horse, not as a savior to rescue sinners, but as a king to rule the world. One more scripture as the worship team comes to the platform. Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horse. Those aren't angels. That's us. That's the saints. Amen? Because Jude says that the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his saints. I'm going to be there. Amen. Right? Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and the tre- and tread the winepress of the wrath of almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written looks like Jesus has a tattoo on his thigh just realized that king of kings I'm not suggesting that okay I just thinking out loud here king of kings <laughs> All the tattoo people are rejoicing right now. (laughs) King of kings and Lord of... Come on, let's stand together. King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, as you listen to these scriptures, you may be tempted to think 
oh come on that's just more fables that's just more stories that's just more myths from the Bible and you look at culture around and you see all the so-called science and all the assertions of the media and how everything seems so sophisticated don't you know that for centuries that has been what the world has been saying mocking the things of God trying to destroy the Word of God but when will you realize that the Word of God is living and active and true and cannot be defeated if it could have been defeated it would have been defeated centuries before but we here today standing here in this place we are living testimonies that the Word of God is alive and that the truth of God can change your life and that you need Jesus in your life. Come on, let's lift up a hand and let's give the Lord some praise right now. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. We exalt your name, Lord. Come on, church. Oh, praise the name. Hallelujah. today you might be watching online thinking I'm not sure that I'm ready for the events of these last days 
I don't know that I'm right with God. I want you to know that Jesus was born in that manger, grew to be a man, and died on the cross so that he could get you ready to meet Jesus, to meet God. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to receive Christ into your life and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, I want you just to bow your head with me right now. Just put your hand on your heart and just repeat these words. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died in my place. And I receive the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins offered to me today. Jesus, come into my life. Come on, say it. Jesus, come into my life and be Lord and Savior in your name. Amen. 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 Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to, as you're leaving the church today, to go up to the Welcome Center there and let the people there know, hey, I prayed that prayer at the end of the service because we have some information that we want to give you and explain some things to you this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word today, your presence in our lives. May we enter this Christmas season, Lord, with a sober awareness of who you are. Yes. You came as a baby, born in a manger, but you're not that baby today. You are the risen Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords, and ruler over the kings of the earth. May we leave this place with your blessing, with your grace on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Have a wonderful day. If you need prayer, you can make your way to the...